the red flag flying here. And hello, pig, pig, pickers. I'm kind. Of, you, you've thrown me. <laughs> um, uh, welcome to Political Unmuted, um, and, uh, sort of. Uh, and, and we have, before we start anything today, before I do anything, I've got to um, quiz our glorious leader about two, two feathers in our cap. Two. Um, Paul, tell me about Independent Media Awards. Um, so this is probably better coming from Laura, to be honest. Laura, do you want to oh, do the Independent Jewish. Media Awards? Laura, Awards? tell me about Independent Media Awards. Okay, so the Independent Media Association is a group put together... Um, I think there's about like 50 odd members of independent media outlets um, from all over the country. Um, they all do amazing things as print publications, radio, TV, podcasts, all sorts. Um, and they decided this year that they were going to run some awards. Um, and we are the shiny winners of the podcast and live stream of the year award. We weren't the only winners, there were a couple of others all of which I guarantee are brilliant. Um, there is a listing on the Independent Media Awards website or Facebook, I think. Um, so you can check out all the other members as well who, who won. But yeah, it was really, really good. We're really proud to be part of it. It's um, a wonderful movement. Lots of people speaking out for independent media. So yeah, great stuff. This wasn't just Political Unmuted, was it? Uh, sort of, but Political Unmuted is a part of the socialist think tank Stable. So tell our listeners what else, what other treasures they've got at store if they want to investigate socialist think tank. Yeah, so we have a huge back catalogue, absolutely massive. We started with a show called Origins, which is um, basically we talk to people about what they think socialism is. Um, we also have, um, what else do we have? The social ties about youth community groups and things like that. Um, we have Socialist Night Live that goes out every Saturday. They're all still available to watch um, or listen to on podcast. So, yeah. Right. Well, we're, we're, we're being spectacularly good today. Jane, you say you don't think we're live on Facebook? I we're do. not. Sorry, I told Paul that I thought it was working and lowered him into a false sense of security. There's nothing we can do about it now. We're just going to have to tell people to join us on, on YouTube, but I don't know how we do that. So I've, I've put a little message on Facebook if everyone can share and tell people to get across to YouTube because YouTube is where it is at tonight. Where, where, where is the message on Facebook? It's uh, on Social from Socialist Think Tank's page. All right. Okay. And in this wonderful, amazing kind of... Anyway, there's another fabulous thing that's happened while we're, I'm waiting for my computer to do, wonder whether it can find Socialist Think Tank. Um, another... Because they say, don't they, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Paul, what did you discover <laughs> earlier this week? So something popped up on Facebook the other day and it was um and it said it was a joy Alan had been doing something and interviewing with people on a t on a show called Business Unmuted. <laughs> and uh, I went and found Business Unmuted on YouTube and they appeared 
like kind of quite a bit of time after Political Unmuted was there, um, after Political Unmuted had um, aired. And honestly, the, there's this thing about what is business unmuted? Well, and it was almost a, it was almost like they'd stolen what you'd said and written it as a script, John. It was really, really funny. So, um, yeah, we, we have, um, I suppose, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So that's uh, that's what's happened this week. Well, we've noticed them. They've been around a year, and I think they get fewer views than us. So, um, you know, they haven't overtaken us yet. They can't pretend to be the original muted program. We, of course, are unmuted because they can't stop us speaking out the truth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so, so anyway, um, welcome to Political Unmuted, everybody. Um, who uh, and and. Uh, Sort of, uh, if you're beginning to find us and make your way across from Facebook, hi. Um, the um, sort of, uh, I've uh, got the team together uh, today. We've got Paul Daly, Stuart Hello. Sutherland, Jane Strange, standing in for Sam, our, our, our super sub. Jane is our super sub. And uh, finally, Laura, are you feeling a bit better today, Laura? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, it's been thanks to Jane for sort of subbing in for me. It's it's amazing. Um, she's incredible, and she's far better than I am. So maybe oh, I will just a <laughs> sort of, she, does, she scores those winning goals, but sort of um, she's just another member of the team. I, I've decided that I'm going to uh, cheer things up this uh, this week by dividing you into teams, and. Um, Sort of like they do on um, the news quiz. So, um, seeing as this, uh, the Labour Party's decided today that it's going to add to its list of prescribed groups that you're not allowed to be a member of, I'm going to put Paul and Jane into one team. I'm going to call you prescribed bodies. And as a, a welcome, uh, alternative. I'm going to put Stuart and Laura into the next team, uh, and uh, and I'm going to call you prescribed antibodies, which is a very COVID-inspired <laughs> team name. And uh, sort of, and because Laura did so well on that description, I was going to give it to you, Paul, but she passed it over. I'm going to give two points to Laura for winning the award. And sort of, and we start with Mount of the Week. Now, Jane, you've got a lot to live up to. Laura says that you're brilliant. Um, what's your moment of the week, Jane? So it's a very samey moment of the week to a moment of the week that I had a few weeks ago when I was lucky enough to be asked on. Um, so Russia's oldest human rights um, charity or organisation, they're called Memorial. Um, so the Russian courts ruled that they're being forcibly liquidated back in December um, because they've said they've received some funding from, um, you know, institutes in Germany and other countries. So they're officially a foreign agent and they need to stamp the Russian words for foreign agent across anything that they put out publicly. Um, and they said they didn't do it. So they're closing them down. So there was a court ruling last week. The European Court of Human Rights was trying to um, hold up the liquidation whilst they reviewed the case, but um, 
they ruled the Russian court ruled that because there's no danger to immediate danger to life then they can't do that so they will be liquidated um, and I know I'm running out of time but I just want to say a few things that Memorial have been doing um, so they've got a digital database of all the victims of political terror in the Soviet Union they've got an archive of letters and photos of victims of oppression um, and the um, European uh, the East forced labour um, they've got newspaper archives and they would put together a bibliography of Russian socialists and anarchists so I'm very sad about this it's a big loss and they are very brave indeed um laura what's your moment of the week um so my moment of the week this week um comes from question time now i don't ordinarily watch question time i do try to avoid it like the plague um but this one pop this little clip popped up and it was um mark sawatka from the pcs union talking about um the spring budget essentially and he managed to fit in two and a half minutes what no one else has been able to successfully say um for 12 years it was just an indictment on Rishi Sunak um he said he doesn't he either doesn't listen doesn't understand or doesn't care and that he actually thought it was probably all free um I agree wholeheartedly he was absolutely brilliant he hit hit the nail on the head for me um, and I will be sharing that video far and wide so everyone can see exactly what the truth is of it all and in my opinion exactly was just wrapped up in two and a half minutes it was absolutely brilliant. It was and uh, we'll be discussing that later on in in the show thank you for that. Stuart what was your moment of the week? Uh, I think everybody will like this one about five days ago Andy MacDonald got the PO boss to admit uh, in that committee that he'd broken the law did, yeah. and that he had, he had no intention of, of following the law whatsoever, which was, was quite fiery and, and, you know, a special moment that really, you know, shows just how, uh, how, how much they think they can get away with. And, you know, it takes real, you know, warriors in parliament to actually drag these people to hold them account and, you know, put some real pressure on them. It was a, it's an excellent moment watching that video. I saw it. It was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, uh, inspiring almost. And Paul, moment of your week. Um, the moment of my week has got to be on our own show on Saturday night. We did a show on refugees. Obviously, it's a very high profile issue at the moment. Um, and we had a guy named Moses on who was a, a, a refugee himself. And honestly, like uh, I've had a few difficult moments while presenting shows because I'm the presenter on a Saturday night usually. And uh, this was probably the most difficult. He told the story of his brother and what happened to him. And um, it was absolutely heartbreaking. And I think while, while people care about refugees from... Um, Ukraine, now's the perfect time to care about refugees from everywhere and see them as real human beings with real lives, um, real values, something to offer, um, something to enrich our lives and uh, people who deserve a chance, who've been through things that I, I couldn't imagine. Like, you know, his story was unfathomable to me. Um, and, yeah, so... I, I would hope that people's care for the 
refugees from Ukraine would transfer over to care to refugee for refugees wherever they're from because it is an awful situation that people find themselves in. And it's going to get worse. Um, I am so pleased to see some of our regular listeners sharing their moment of the week. Um, if you want to share your moment of the week in the next uh, sort of minute or so, um, we'll, we'll um, load it on the show. Um, I love that Jake Ratcliffe and Quantum Skyline are both going with Stuart and the um, uh, P&O story, the P&O moment of Andy McDonald. Bonus point to you there, Stuart, um, for sensing the public um, feeling. Mia, um, however, is um, going with Paul and um, sort of praising Saturday Night Show. So um, a bonus point for you, Paul. Um, Mr. Happyfoot, Amber Rudd publicly got away with saying European refugees were more important in a cheap attempt to smear Pretty Patel. Can anybody explain to me what's what's happening there, Paul? I only saw a clip. Does anyone see see the whole lot? Basically, Amber Rudd was um, was was arguing, and and the the implication behind what she was saying is, you know, that well, the reason Ukrainian refugees are important is because they're white. Um, you know, it was it, it was um, yeah, it it just wasn't very good. But Amber Rudd, the person who took the took the fall for Theresa May's go home vans and the hostile environment and Windrush. Yeah, she she in she isn't a good one, is she? So this is the kind of person who gets elected into our parliament. And does does anybody know what Mark's talking about when when he says sad moment of the week? Four twenty is not going to do an orbit test. Saying no more if you know you know. Does anybody here know? Something to do with the space program. It must be to do with space. I'm sure he'll let us know. Yeah, but, um, sort of um, elaborate, elaborate for us, Mark. Okay, right here. And anyway, time to move on. Um, now it's time for the big story. At the end of the moment of the week, um, Paul and Jane, the prescribed bodies have five marks, but uh, the prescribed antibodies <laughs> have six. Well done, Stuart. <laughs> Keep your nose out the front. Okay, here we go. Um, big stories. We've got three of them today. And uh, what I did is I just asked, um, two of them we talked about last week, so I just thought, just give us an update on, on, on something you've noticed and why you thought it was important. And we'll just have two quick skates through Ukraine and P&O. And, and sort of what Stuart's going to do, I don't know, he's used up his, his, his P&O story already, but sort of we'll have to see, get a chance to catch up there, Paul. And um, the um, 
what I'd like as well, if you listeners want to, let's start with Ukraine. Is there something you've noticed about the Ukraine? Do you want to share something about you? What's your Ukraine moment of the week? Share it with us and uh, let's get it let's get it talked about. Um, let's have a, a, a listener involve, involvement show. Um, but I'm going to start um, uh, with um, Laura. Your Ukraine moment of the week. Yeah, um, for me, moment of the week really makes it sound like it's going to be positive. It's not. Um, There are 16 anti-trafficking organisations who are severely worried about the the lack of safeguards that have been put in place for Ukrainians coming over and being housed here because essentially um, women and children are being targeted and the way it's set up is you can apply to house certain people and it is effectively they've been saying essentially it's like tinder basically swipe left or right if you want them or don't want them um and they're it's it's really dangerous um and nothing's being done about it um i don't even think it's even being considered to be honest by this government so um just something that really stood out and something that actually it's so obvious when you think about why why haven't they thought about this there's clearly a problem with trafficking of vulnerable people there always has been and now we're giving them to them for free just you know we're offering them the opportunity to get get them too easily and uh, yeah it's just really scary 360 pounds to get some sex workers for free um i mean i was very worried when i saw a mother and daughter and sort of the daughter was sort of really quite young early 20s i would have thought and that the mother was not old um, and they were on saying, um, we're coming across, we're very clean, we're very presentable, and we're looking for somebody to take us in on Facebook. And you just think, this is a worse, it's a worse kind of human market that you could, what on earth is the government doing? Um, and Laura, sort of, are you aware of any mechanism set up by the government to vet the volunteer um, looking after us? Um, I'm not aware, I mean, <laughs> I'm not aware of any. That isn't to say there, are, there aren't any that exist, but I would argue that if they do exist, they're no good because um, it's this government and I don't trust a thing they do. <laughs> but no, not not an obvious thing that has been talked about, no. No. Um, Great point, um, and, 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 and I was worried about it. So there's one or two people sharing their moments of the week, and, and I'm, I'm not going to, so sorry, Von, it's brilliant, but sort of, uh, we're on the Ukraine now. Um, uh, Pongo Pigpen, his moment of the week, <laughs> he wants to know how Zelensky got so damned rich as a comedian in one of the poorest countries of Europe. I think we, we sort of, wasn't it something I saw on Facebook, or did we... Um, did we skate over it last week? Sort of. Um, it's it's when you're adopted by powerful people um, who want you to um, become the the prime minister. The answer to that. Um, uh, Neil Terry wants us to start again. That's nothing to do with the Ukraine. Uh, sort of. Um, but there's a <laughs> 
<laughs> we can't. <laughs> but God bless you. Um, the, the people sort of. Um, I, I once. This is nothing to do with the Ukraine. It's disgraceful that I know. I once went on a French exchange, and um, sort of we kept all our English children with us, and the French um, teachers decided that it'd be a jolly good exercise. Um, if they let their French children make their own way through the subway. And they said, it's very easy. You get off, you get on at this station and you get off at this station and meet us at this station. And, and we said, we're not letting our English children go. So we were going with our English children and we realised that the French teachers had misread the, the map of the subway. And the two stations, they told them, weren't on the same line. <laughs> so we, we, we made our way through the subway, negotiated our way through, and then we sat and waited. And the um, that the, the French children were straggling in sort of up till nine o'clock at night. And then we had to drive from Paris back to Amiens. It was so fun. Look, we didn't lose any. We didn't lose any. But it reminds me of that, all these people straggling in from Facebook. Hi, are you people? It's so great <laughs> to see you. <laughs> we, what, what happened was that we, 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 we got made you get your own way there and we've just changed lines. We're on YouTube tonight, not Facebook. Um, Stuart. Um, stopping being silly now, um, uh, Ukraine. One of the things that I found out this week is that the Ukraine had taken in a number of refugees from around the world. And currently there is an issue with a number of nations who are bringing in refugees from the Ukraine who don't have a mechanism also bringing in the uh, refugees who would enter, enter the Ukraine as refugees. They we're losing these refugees. If they're, they're essentially trapped in the Ukraine, am I back? <laughs> um, sort of. Um, <laughs> well, Facebook said what it thought of that policy. Um, sort of. Um, Try again, Stuart, very briefly. Uh, the Ukraine had taken in a number of re refugees from around the world, uh, certainly Syria, of late. Uh, these refugees that no longer have access to be moved on to other countries accepting refugees. Yeah. So while all the nations in Europe are taking refugees from the Ukraine, they aren't taking the refugees that Ukraine had taken in themselves from elsewhere in the world, and they are now trapped within the Ukraine with no passports, no right to stay, no. and no mechanism to get out. Um, there was a big problem with foreign students as well in the early, early days, though they seem to have sorted that out. Uh, it just shows, doesn't it, how vulnerable um, you are when you become a refugee. You really are just pushed from pillar to post. Um, the um, Quantum Skyline, Stuart's online flatulence was my moment of the week. <laughs> That's worth points. Um, um, <laughs> Definitely. People are still sharing their um, moments of the week. Pongo Pigpen was Nathalie Elphick. Um, uh, there we go. For, um, Jane, your Ukraine moment of the week. Um, so I um, I was reading about the Belarus railway workers 
Um, so in Belarus, they've got a railway resistance and the railway workers have been sabotaging the railways to stop the Russian equipment from getting through. So disabling the alarm system, dismantling transformers, setting fire to bits of the railway. And I think it's at the weekend, um, the head of the railway announced that there was no railway connection anymore between Belarus and the Ukraine because the railway workers had managed to completely sabotage it and I've had there's been some um, people trying to do similar things in Russia as well um, and there's four railway workers so far have been arrested in Belarus and others have been interrogated and it's a really brutal regime so these people are, are so brave I dread to think what they're going through. But, and I was just about to say to you I thought that Belarusia was meant was that's an ally of Russia isn't it? Yeah yeah it's the workers though they don't think what's going on is right that a lot of people in Russia don't a lot of people in Belarus, I think, don't agree with the government in that country. We had the uprisings last year and it seemed like sham elections. So, but these people have put their lives on the line to try and help. I, I, I'm, I'm shamed by the bravery of, of, of some, some of those people. That's really interesting though, isn't it? Because one of the big reasons the, the Russians are doing so badly is because they can't supply themselves and they can't keep this up. And Paul, what's your moment of the week, your Ukraine moment of the week? Um, Roman, Abramov Roman Abramovich's miraculously regrowing face is my moment of the week in Ukraine. So some of the stuff around Ukraine has been bonkers, like, um, and, like you know, and, and it trivialises the whole thing, but Ro Roman Abramovich was there for some reason as an oligarch to negotiate on behalf of Russia, but not really to negotiate on behalf of Russia. So he's meeting some Ukrainians, and this is the guy who's just been stripped of the ownership of Chelsea Football Club um, because for years and years he was absolutely great, but now he's too close to Putin. But he was always too close to Putin. But he's not close enough to Putin because now Putin wants to poison him and his face fell off. Um, apparently his face peeled off and... Um, he had the, 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 this was awful. The, this this terrible poisoning that he had, and then the next day he's just on the telly, just with a face, and I really don't know what is going on, to be honest. So I, I really I mean, don't understand. He was there, um, mediating at in Turkey today. Yeah, without the yeah, peace talks, fully faced, fully faced, fully, fully faced. Um, yeah, He's, he appeared to have... So either the reports of his poisoning and face falling off have been a huge exaggeration or he has some sort of powers to regrow a face. Like, you know, it's... And I think that the main point around this is what in the world are we doing having sort of like this, this celebrification of Ukraine it's like oh yeah everyone loves Zelensky he dresses up as, and, and he wears this stuff and he the, but he got rich behind the scenes and he's a comedian and he's an actor and what have you and then you've got oh Abramovich owned a football club he can negotiate on behalf of and you're like whoa I, I really don't understand why where like this wealth and privilege thing became so blatant in that actually they these people aren't elected these people aren't aren't representatives of the country but they're more important than that and it's very similar to when elon musk was asked there can you give us internet elon musk and he's like yes i'm iron man i will give you the internet and then a couple of weeks later he's sharing daft memes about about ukraine war and stuff and yeah it's a bizarre situation so that's 
I'm still baffled by a little bit. I, I, I don't know what's happening there um, at all. What's going on with environment at all? That's a really, <coughs> I think it's a really interesting development in um, Russian politics, that. Hmm. I think it's... it's um, uh, did, did you, Paul, uh, do you see any hope for the... Uh, they seem to be making progress of, of a kind with the peace talks. I mean, do you see any hope there? Well, they've agreed to shell Kiev less, haven't they? Which, you know, small mercy and everything like that. Maybe the people will get a little bit of respite. Um, this isn't about war. This isn't about people. Sorry, this isn't about people. It's about money. It's about, like, money and territory. And um, So I think the, the the quest for money will continue. And these kind of conflicts will go on, regardless of where they are. I would hope that this one would come to an end relatively quickly. It sounds like they may agree not to allow like NATO to have bases in Ukraine, which seems to be a clear thing that Russia have asked for, and, uh, and that Ukraine are now willing to go along with. But we were told it wasn't anything to do with that. So we'll see whether Russia were telling the truth about their aims in Ukraine. Um, regardless, war is not justified. But, you know, um, the West have been justifying wars for a lot of awful reasons and, and or bombing, like, you know, bombing all sorts of places in the Middle East um, for reasons that none of us can really comprehend or supporting regimes that are doing a lot of bombing currently um, such as Saudi Arabia and Yemen so I, I don't unless we fundamentally change the way we think about war and the way we think about the economy and the way we think about making rich people hideously richer we aren't going to see the end of this type of conflict Stuart, do you think um, do you think the Russians are losing? I, I, I couldn't possibly say that. Uh, it would all depend on what their intentions were, what their goal was, what their preferred outcome was, whether whether they see uh, you know a, a win, a loss in what's going on right now. Um, I'll ask Jane and Laura as well. See, see, I mean, do, do you sense uh, an upturn, a, a, a kind of increased hopefulness? It certainly seems to be the case in the Ukraine that pe people are more upbeat than they were. They're beginning to go back to cafes. Life's beginning to return to normal to, to a degree, which is amazing. I mean, do, 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 you, do you see the thing grinding to a halt or... Do you think that it's just a, a, a trick? Um, I don't think it's grinding to a halt. I mean, for me, if we're getting our information from the UK media, I'd, I'm not sure how much of it I can really trust. Um, but, I mean, wouldn't it be lovely if it could just go away and they could go back to living their lives and everything? I think that there is some hope and positivity in that the assumption was Putin would invade Ukraine and it'd be game over um, and I know that you know they put up a, a fight and I don't think Putin was ready for that and so I do think there was um, 
a bit of hope and a bit of yes we're not we're not just going to go away silently but as for hope that everything's just going away and everything's going to be fine and things will return to normal as I say I don't believe it. Connie Hardman there are no winners in a war <laughs> no, none whatsoever. Uh, Jane I mean the the level of destruction in the Ukraine has been unprecedented I think um sort of in in Europe since the second world war I mean uh, sort of on a, on a level with that in in Syria and the Yemen um I mean do, do you see Ukraine ever getting over it and 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 sort of do you, do you see every Ukraine ever the people of Ukraine ever reconciling themselves to, to Russia I'm not sure they'll go back to how they were before. Um, I read last week three million people had already been displaced. That's three million three million people who have lost their home and their country and probably had their family torn to pieces. That will never be the same again. I don't know if those, a lot of those families will be reunited. I, I was just reading um, a book by Ukrainian author um, Sergei, um, no, Yergei Kirkov, Grey Bees, and it's about um, life in the Donbass region. He wrote it a few years ago, and it seems from what I can tell from what I've read and from that, that the Donbass has been a war zone since mm -hmm. 2014. Yeah. And there, it was normal life before that. There were people in villages and towns living a normal life, but it's just turned into a war zone for the last eight years. And I know the whole Ukraine is a lot bigger than that region, but I don't know. I could see things being quite bad for a very long time. Yeah. Horrific. And I'm always amazed how people manage to, to, to keep going in such situations, and particularly in the depth of winter. Um, uh, horrific. Um, the, uh, can I ask Clarissa to... Um, Starmer at Labour Friends of Palestine speech. Can you expand on that for your moment of the week? Uh, please um, be wise in what you, you write, but it'd be interesting to... to, to um, uh, uh, oh, now Clarissa is also... Um, I'm, I'm actually quite annoyed at your comment regarding destructic in Europe. Um, NATO used chemical weapons in Serbia, yes, during the war in Bosnia. First, I forgot about the war in Bosnia. Um, my uh, son-in-law served there. Thank you very much, Clarissa. Can you expand on your um, comments about the Labour Friends of Palestine speech? I'm going to move on uh, for sort of to the P&O and just ask for, um, this just filled the news last week. Um, uh, sort of, um, Stuart, what, what, you've already talked about it. Um, have, have you got anything you'd like to, to, to expand on and share about that? Just, you know, I understand that the PNO are now seeking workers from across Europe uh, on, on the basis that it's temp work and no experience is needed to operate these gigantic ships crossing the seas with, you know, valuable cargo of people in uh, what, what can be on, on the ocean a life a life and death situation which is really concerning uh, certainly I don't think the public should be sticking their money with P&O right now certainly if you support the workers you wouldn't want to be sticking your money with them right now certainly if you're 
value your own life if they're willing to drive the standards of uh, staff skill level right down. Thank you. Laura, what was your PO moment of the week? Uh, mine was uh, a really positive one and a dead quick one. It was the PO dockers in Rotterdam who stood in solidarity um, and weren't going to load the freight onto um, a PO ferry that was due to be um, bound for Hull. Um, and I just thought it was just really lovely to see the solidarity. It was, a, it was really a show of strength and just exactly what's needed um, at the minute. And I, I just thought it was brilliant. Join a union. <laughs> um, Paul, I'm going to come straight to you about joining a union as well. But um, was your, what was your Pino moment of the week? Um, just before I say that, that was really funny because uh, I'm the only I'm, I'm the only person on the panel who can see the comments coming up as they come in. It was really funny because Neil's comment was almost Neil's exactly the same. Yes, um, <laughs> to to Laura's as it, as she was saying, and it just popped up. Hey, so that was really good. Neil great, like great that. minds. Um, yeah, um, my moment of the week was learning that um, that there was an amendment to employment law by Chris Grayling in 2018 that meant that the shipping companies are it, it's debatable about employment law on this one but he put an amendment as and basically if they're going to make redundancies they only have to um, lodge that with the place where they're registered as a business rather than with employees of the Secretary of State of the country where they're doing business. So it may be that Chris Grayling's amendment in 2018 made what P&O did legal, even though the government are currently saying that this is totally illegal, it's against like the Employment, uh, em Employment Act, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but in 1992 it was made. So, like, you know, this government, this is the... This is the logical conclusion to this government's attack on workers and friendliness with big business. So it's um, it's registered in the Bahamas, I believe, P&O, in order to like exempt themselves from tax. And they've um, so it may be that they only had to lodge what they were going to do in the Bahamas rather than with workers now the TUC is saying no it's British workers that you've got yeah um, so therefore you have to you have to use British employment law but it isn't as cut and dried as it would have been without Chris Grayling putting this um, amendment through so as much as people always called him failing Grayling like he was an idiot he's not an idiot he's earning a hundred thousand pounds a year now for a couple of hours work a week for a ports firm, for consultancy with a firm for ports. Yeah. He's like, you know, the guy, they're all at it. They're all at it. They, you know, they, they'll, they'll do something and then they'll, they'll take some sort of lucrative job. Well, you've just saved us millions of pounds. We'll employ you for £100,000 a year. You know, it, it's a racket. Um, Neil Terry, what is... Tulcra, T-U-L-C-R-A. Do, do Trade Union Labour Relations and Consolidation Act in 1992. Right. Okay. Oh, right. He's um, he's he's filled out above, um, and he's told us which section. Thank you for your knowledge there. Um, uh, some more uh, brilliant uh, moments of the week coming coming out. No wonder those two ferries were detained. 
It should all be detained by the sounds of it. The irresponsibility of not expecting the replacement staff to be trained hmm. it is, is unbelievable. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Jane, um, your, what was your P&O moment of the week? Um, so my uh, moment was um, there was a demonstration in Dover in support of the P&O workers on Saturday because um, 600 of the 800 jobs are um, affecting the Dover workers um, and it was it was a really nice atmosphere. There were really lovely people there. Um, there was support. The local mayor was there, and he was very supportive. Um, and uh, what really struck me was how much support there was from the local people, um, because there had been um, there had been agreement um, working with the police beforehand. So the police shut off the motorway um, for us, and they went down the motorway and then back around the other direction in the motorway. And the you know the lorries, foreign lorries, and English presumably English um, people in cars you know were honking their horns and there was loads of support and there were people lots of people looking out of their flats and clapping and that just was really lovely to know there was that much support from the from the local people and not so local people um, driving their lorries through Dover. Um, is Jane is all this pressure having any effect any positive effects uh, I mean certainly P&O are getting a real um, uh, public relations lambasting, but is it translating into any progress for the workers? I don't know. I I feel that these people have decided, it seems they know exactly what they did wrong, they know exactly what they should have done, and they've calculated the financial risk themselves and decided they'll take the penalties of it because our employment laws are so weak in this country that it's hardly going to cost them anything at all to just do this and brazenly say, they knew they were breaking the law so I kind of feel our only real chance to stop them is some sort of criminal prosecution against the directors and I do feel there should be a criminal prosecution personally I think what they've done is horrendous um, or for people to not use P&O and for the company to go out of business which is an awful thing because more people lose their jobs but if they get away with doing this this sets an awful precedent for everyone else and it, it just can't happen. No. It's, it's the president, which is, is terrifying. Thank you very much, everybody. Paul, were you going to say something? No, I, I, I thought you said something there. Um, absolutely brilliant, people. Thank you for your comments, particularly Paul and Jane. I gave you two bonus points for your wonderful answers there, with the result that prescribed bodies, you have 10 points, and prescribed antibodies, you've been hauled back in. You're 10 points too. And it's all to play for as we go into um, the spring statement and uh, sort of loads to say about this. Um, uh, thank you, listeners, for your really... Um, uh, <clears throat> hang on a tick. I'm going to ignore you for two seconds. Neil's, Neil, who's particularly well versed about this issue, the funny thing is P&O Cruises has come up with a multi-million pound online advertising campaign to say we are not P&O ferries. They have completely different owners. That's really interesting, isn't it? So is this P&O Cruises basically denying all friendship with P&O ferries. Wow. Um, yes, Mia, we did. We talked about it last week. Um, Natalie Elphick. 
um, making a complete idiot of herself. <laughs> that sort of um, being booed because she spotted higher and uh, fire and rehire. Um, spring statement. Um, uh, I'm going to just ask you what you thought about it. Um, it it's a really pathetic question, but sort of. Um, let, let, let's begin to just explore some of the issues. Laura, would you fancy going first on this one? So to yeah. Tell about the Sphinx statement. Why not? Um, I didn't watch it because, honestly, I've got better things to do. I didn't. I wasn't expecting anything fantastic out of it. Um, I mean, the, re the reports now are saying after the spring statement was released that it's going to be the biggest fall in living standards since records began. Um, you know, that's massive. We've gone through a lot since then. You know, recessions and all sorts. We've had a lot of those. Um, so the fact that it's getting worse, again, doesn't surprise us. I feel like we've been building up to this moment for quite a long time. Uh, nothing surprises us these days. But with a, he's trying to market a benefit rise of 3.1% is a really good thing. And yeah, it might be. But the fact of the matter is that the cost of living is set to rise between eight and 10%. So what he's effectively saying is, we're not gonna give you enough money to be able to survive. And that really, really worries me. And it should worry everybody and not just for, not just for the, for the rich or not getting more money than they're supposed to be getting or for the less well off, not doing so well, but actually, you know, this is this is going to plunge more children into poverty, less well-off families, into really, really difficult situations. Um, I dread to think what people are going to have to do just to get money to be able to afford to live. And, and that is that's the reality of where we're going with this. You know, we're, we're going back to medieval times here. Um, and, you know, the fact that he said all the work starts here. Interestingly, he says that now after being in government for 12 years, shouldn't we have started this work 12 years ago? Um, it's just, it's a pathetic statement, to be honest with you. It's, it doesn't do anywhere near enough. Um, the tax cuts and the tax, are just it's just devastating. It is, once again, the billionaires looking after themselves and he's trying to package it as oh, you know, we need to look after each other, we need to be careful, and, and it's always the same with this lot. Every single time they do anything to do with money, they always try to package it in a way that looks like it might benefit us, or it might benefit poorer people, when in actual fact, there's plenty going on behind the scenes that is, that, and, and not so much behind the scenes now, it's actually quite blatant how much they're just keen on looking after their rich friends and again as I say this has been a slow building process for many many years to the point where now I think people are so disinterested in it that they won't pay attention to this budget or any budget or anything that happens in politics because it's all the same it's all the same they just look after themselves and it is Two-thirds two of people, when questioned, said that um, uh, they didn't think it, it, it was going to have um, any effect at all. Um, of course not. Of course not. And taking five pence off fuel duty, you can't, you can't sell that 
when it's gone up by what 65 pence in the last few weeks you can't sell five pence as a good thing you just can't and the gas and energy prices are just sore and we should be putting caps on that i mean they should be um private uh, public publicly owned but that's not going to happen under the tories is it so yeah it's just it's again like question time another one of those things that i know i shouldn't bury my head in the sand and i shouldn't avoid it i should be active and i should know all about it but i just didn't want to know because i already know i, <laughs> I cannot bear to listen to question time i i prefer to listen to you lot um Stuart, um talk to me about national insurance now um do you think that he managed to make a big enough adjustment to nullify the damage that that rise was going to to do absolutely not uh in fact i think he doubled down Hang on, Stuart. I think it does it on purpose. Doesn't it? As soon as he starts talking, it starts going slow. Stuart, turn your camera off. Uh, uh, we had to stick in this national insurance increase to just to. Uh, I'm a bit. How's that? No. Come back to me. <laughs> I can't hear a word, Stuart. Can I can I can I go and talk to Jane and Paul and then I'll 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 come back to you. We'll see if you we see if um uh, it's obviously all those people in, in Chilton just don't want you to it be is. Jane, um sort of um uh what about yeah sort of um the council tax rebate? Sort of is do you see any good in that? £150? I think it's just a drop in the ocean, isn't it? Um, so Quantum Skyline was saying in the chat about the ridiculous rise in energy prices that are being inflicted on people. You're talking about thousands of pounds for people to find. £150 is a tiny, tiny bit of short-term help. It's, it's, it's nonsense. I mean, the, the, the councils are getting upset about it, aren't they? Because they're saying that um, the, the, there's only a mechanism to give it to people who have direct debits. So if you're not on a direct debit, then you have to apply for it. But they haven't, the government haven't given the councils any money to organise that process or advertise that process. So um, again, all those people who are poorer are going to um, uh, be, be, be hit again and and sort of you're absolutely right um that the, the the sums they're talking about um was it 5p on your fuel and 150 and even 200 pounds on your energy which by the way you got to pay back compared to the kind of money that people are going to have to find it's 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 peanuts and 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 sort of in a world where they're not giving uh, anything extra to people on benefits where the benefits are going to be falling behind inflation um you agree with laura uh, what, what what are they going to be able to do jane um they're going to be able to starve and freeze i think that's what people will be able to do i think what really annoyed me about this budget was 
I actually watched a little bit of it. It was a big mistake. and I wouldn't have chosen to. But I came downstairs and it was on the telly. And the gloating Sunak, um, he's just gloating, you know, playing with words, standing there triumphantly saying with a smirk on his face with Pretty Patel and Johnson smirking behind him. He has um, delivered the biggest increase in income ever. Some such nonsense is exactly what he said with absolutely no compassion, no honesty to him, no recognition of the fact that what he's actually de uh, delivered through their ridiculous austerity policies and terrible handling of the Brexit negotiations and pandemic is the ridiculously highest increase in the cost of living, you know, that we've ever seen. And that that just dwarfs any of his ridiculous gimmicky pennies that he's trickling back to people. I don't think he cares at all. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember some. I, I can't find it on the um, on the on, on the the uh, thread because I can't scroll back through it. But one of the people um, who, who was commenting said that you know, and this this is the man claiming to be uh, such a genius is the man who threw away, mismanaged and lost so many billions of pounds during the, to fraud during the COVID crisis. These people are not fit to, to run the economy, sort of. Um, Neil Terry is wondering if you talk like that normally, Stuart. Is, is, this, is this how you talk normally? This is why I've had all this training. On, on, on speaking, <laughs> the public speaking training, it's because I, I slow right down like that, start making noises. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's, it's the complaining about the capitalist um, broadband. You, you're fine when you're not saying anything of any moment, but as soon as you start talking yeah, about things that matter, whoa, it shuts you up good and properly. Yeah. Let's have watched. another go. What were you saying to us? Uh, Rishi Sunak's doubled down on the, the national insurance uh, and the idea that this is the, the long-term fix for social care when, when we know that the, the tax burden is already hugely uh, difficult for the poorest people in Britain, the, the hardest workers to, to, to bear. It's, it's shocking. Certainly, this you know it was 25 minutes, that mini-budget, and it was nothing but a, a really long lie. Uh, what, what we've seen is, you know, families who are already struggling, they're going to be pushed into poverty. We're going to be looking at one in five people in Britain living in po poverty, which is shocking. Twelve and a half million people in Britain living in poverty is a disgusting number. You would have thought that that would have been eradicated a very long time ago, but it has not. It's getting worse. And this is what we see now in a year's time. In two years' time, like how how much longer can we allow this to go on for before half of us are living in, in poverty, sixty percent of us, you know, ninety percent of us are living in poverty. Is it I've got a question. I think I'm going to ask Paul because the way they calculate absolute poverty is um, if your income is below sixty percent of the median income. And I'm trying to get my head around that um, because in a way um, we'll never have 90% um, people living in poverty. When you start, when you're calculating it that way, I, sort of, um, 
is that not just measuring the degree of inequality in the the nation's incomes uh, rather than a measure of as it claims to be absolute poverty so i happen to be reading a book about this at the moment um right statistics are manipulatable so you know statistics can show a variety of things there's poverty and there's absolute poverty of course and they can actually mean different things in different countries as well and they do mean different things in different countries now what you're talking about there if you're talking about a median median's the middle person in the country so there's going to be 50 percent lower so if you calculate that based upon the median if the median person hasn't got enough to live then that's a kind of meaningless statistic but it might mean something in some countries basically like you know statistics as a like i'm i'm a big fan of maths i'm a big fan of statistics and stuff like i'm a maths teacher i've done loads of stats work and it when i've been studying and and yeah they're limited these things are limited they can be manipulated to show whatever you want to show within reason um, it's really in interesting paul that they've used the median to calculate the absolute poverty but when they talk about um how amazing our jobs are in this country they use the mean because the top end are so so rich that it's always yeah. going to drag everything up so they're just like look how much money we've got how many jobs we've got and yeah. it, you're right it just gets manipulated and and they don't tell people that they just throw out statistics and expect yeah. people to believe them the median is a better statistic for the like you know half the people earn less than that and half the people are more than that but like because you could say the mean well you know like i do i do a little exercise and say right you're all on like i don't know ten thousand pounds and the last person is on like two million so the main salary is like really really high but it's not really you know what i mean like so there is exactly yeah, I want points for that, John. I hate maths. <laughs> Here's one for you. The, 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 the medium that they choose to use is the average income from 2010 to 2011, then adjusted for inflation. So they don't actually use the current year's medium. They actually use one that they've picked out specifically as a useful uh, target to reach. Hmm. I mean, ultimately... The measure of poverty, surely, is the number of people going to food banks and the number of people who, who can't afford to heat their house. And uh, sort of, and, and Laura hit the nail on the head very early in the show. When, I'll give you an extra point for saying that, actually. But when, 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 when she said that, that you know, it's, it, it's to, to do with the number of people who are not going to be able to... Uh, who, who, Oh no, it wasn't you, Laura. It was it was Jane. I'm no, rubbing it out. It was me. It's fine. All right, <laughs> I give it to both of you. Um, Paul, um, what did you think about um, Rishi Shunak's comment on energy in his in his statement? Which comment on energy? He said a lot precisely of nothing whatsoever about about energy. Um, and the nation's energy is that didn't he talk about nuclear energy that was a separate thing I get... oh was it yeah he, okay. he was he was quizzed by richard bergen who richard bergen asked him why 
there wasn't a windfall tax on energy companies and um and and Rishi Sunak said well energy companies have a 40% corporation tax um so they pay 40% tax anyway so people looked into it and what had happened and in the last year the energy companies paid zero corporation tax and they made something like a 42 billion profit and received a rebate a tax rebate of 400 million between them okay so they're actually paying negative tax they're actually getting money from public money now this was the 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 point i really wanted to make tonight is something that was on navara media the other day there was a guy called gary stevenson who's uh, who did a lot of stock market work and, and has made millions out of the system and he wants everyone to know that this was the biggest ever wealth transfer from the public to private rich individuals in the history of humanity. So if you think about inflation at the moment, we're going to have a cost of living crisis that is the worst since records began. It is the biggest fall in living standards since records began. The the um, inflation is running at like 8.5%. So if you take anything like the NHS, they're saying, oh, we're going to put 3% more into the NHS. Well, if inflation's 8%, that's a huge, huge cut. And, you know, like my job um, teaching... They've actually frozen our pay. So that's like a massive pay cut because everything's 8.5% more expensive. And actually, it's more than that if you have less money because the energy's gone up so much and it's a bigger proportion for us than it is for rich people. But what is that? In the, over coronavirus, over COVID, £450 billion was pumped into the economy. Public money pumped into the economy. This is something they can do. They can invent money. And they printed money and that went into the economy. That's £10,000 per person. If you don't have £10,000 in your account that you wouldn't have had otherwise, then your £10,000 has ended up somewhere else. And that has ended up with billionaires. Billionaires have increased their wealth on a huge, huge scale. And what is happening is all that money that they created has gone directly to billionaires. Whether that's, well, it's not directly, you know, it might have gone through our bank account, maybe through furlough, or it might have, something might have happened. But generally, the money's ended up with the richest. So we've got a situation where the richest got incredibly rich and they have done nothing to negate that. This spring statement should have been, hang on, our economy failed. Our economy put all the money into the hands of the people who didn't need it. So we need to rebalance that with taxation. That's what tax is for. Tax isn't to pay for anything. Tax is to, is to redistribute wealth. But instead of that, they decided to redistribute at the bottom end. They decided to raise national insurance. They're talking about lowering income tax, which is like unearned wealth as well. Unearned wealth is, is, is income tax. Down the line, you know, they're going to reduce that. And then there all these people who actually don't even deal in taxation, so the massive energy companies, they don't deal in doing anything with regards to taxation. They're getting rebates. They're not paying any tax. You know, they're getting also, out Paul, of the system. Also, Paul, um, they've they're frozen the thresholds. So anything you might get from a, re, a reduction in tax, in fact, 
because they've frozen the thresholds, uh, inflation is going to, to yeah. pay that back then. Uh, and the, and the, also students the as well. There was something that came out as students. Did you see yeah. the, the the thing about um, reducing the the part where uh, sorry the the reducing the amount you would have to earn in order to pay back your student loan? Yeah. So that's gone down a couple of thousand pounds, and they've increased the length of your student loan. So if you go to university in your twenties, finish university in your twenties, you now it's going to last forty years. And they've already put up like the, you know, the loan rates on that are really, really high because they sold them to private firms. So people will be paying that off for the rest of their lives. Um, it's becoming a worse and worse is... deal. It's a little bit like when when um, Lando's in Cloud City in Star Wars and he's going, this deal's getting worse all the time. That's everything. <laughs> you know, that's been student loans, hasn't it? It was like it started off as a bad deal. The thing and about the worse. student loan, Paul, is that if you're wealthy, you will benefit the people, it's the, the 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 middling sort who are going to end up paying much, much more for much, much longer. Um, I, I'm going to um, bring that to a halt. Thank you very much indeed. We've got two, um, to, sort of, uh, Samantha does our second half. And, and because she's not here today, everybody, we've decided that what we'll do is we'll let this very, very... Um, busy and full episode run over and then we just won't have the informal chat at the end so we're going to run over and just take two questions um sort of um two other questions before that i must say that um paul did absolutely brilliantly on that i was very very impressed by paul so i gave him a couple of bonus points so now prescribed bodies have 14 and prescribed antibodies have 13. I'm, I'm sorry, Laura, it's, it's going to be war in the daily household. <laughs> um, uh, Paul, other stories. Ooh, do I lose points for being slow? You do. <laughs> <laughs> I did one perfect earlier. No. 13. I'm looking for some. Um, Laura, should rising COVID infections cause concern? Um, in a word, yes, but we're in a position now where we, we kind of don't have the option to be concerned about it anymore. All the restrictions and everything are being lifted. Even staying at home when you're not very well with COVID, that's being lifted. My major concern is for working people, especially people who have um, insecure work, who don't get sick pay, who if even if they were at death's door, need to go to work. And of course, that's going to spread it even more and it'll get closer to vulnerable people. Um, and yeah, it just, it just feels again like um, Boris Johnson wants to just push this all to one side and just get over it and get on with the business of making money for rich people. Um, so yeah, we sh should probably be concerned about it. I'm pleased that there are a lot less deaths, of course, but there are a lot more infections. And I just feel like the, the option to be worried and the option to try and take care of other people is being taken away from us now. We, we don't have that choice. It's a luxury that isn't afforded to us because we have to go out and work. Stuart, is, is it a fact that simply because they're not telling us about it, we're not noticing it? 
I mean, is this basically a, um, a, a failure of media? Uh, I, I think it's intentional that we don't know. Clearly, there, there's no broadcasting of what's going on, but you will notice it in your community, uh, certainly regarding uh, access to healthcare. If you've got a, a family member who needs treatment, uh, for instance, they've got to go into hospital and say they, they were seeking cancer treatment because there's such skyrocketing uh, uncontrolled uh, rises in infections within the community. These people can't then take that COVID into hospital to get the treatment that they want. So there's a knock-on effect where people who need you know, speedy uh, action and very serious concerns don't get, get it as quickly because it's a, COVID's allowed to run rampant in the community and slow down what the, the hospital can do for them. Because if you've got COVID, you're just told, don't come in, spend 10 days at home, come in when you're sorted. And it's very difficult to do that while everyone in, around you is carrying COVID with no need to, to stay away from you. And it clogs up the, the, medical, the, the, the hospitals and stops them doing uh, caring properly for, for other people. Um, Mark's just told uh, us 45,305 new cases to, new cases today and 303 deaths. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, Laurie, you said that people don't seem to be dying, but when you have that kind of numbers, even a low death rate can create sort of, they're just, um, Barbara was right. They're just getting rid of the vulnerable. They're letting COVID solve the care crisis for them. Yeah, and John, if we go back to the first time we talked about this, I remember very distinctly saying that they are saying that this is, they're going to do, um, they're not, they're trying to look after people, but actually we said from day one that they just want to get rid of the vulnerable. Um, remember when Boris said, oh, we'll just let it run through and we'll have immunity, herd immunity, and we were like, it's not herd immunity, you're just getting rid. I stand by that. I still think that's what they're doing. One point for I told you so to Laura <laughs> Um Jane, um, COVID, talk to us about your feelings. Uh, I mean, do we need to do something more about it then? Yes, yes, we need to do an awful lot more about it. So Independent Sage have issued their guidance on how we could actually try to live with COVID. Um, and they're saying that we need to invest in ventilation like other countries have invested in ventilation in their schools over the last two years. Um, we need better housing. We've got people living in tower black blocks with no access to outdoor space. We've got people living in damp houses. We've got terrible housing conditions in this country. We need better sick pay. We need to be having simple measures like masks and FFP2 masks, you know, in areas where there are lots of people because they really are effective. And we need the free testing back and we need some contact tracing in place for when we do have outbreaks. And we've got none of that at the moment. And we've got a government who's just refusing to do that. And people will continue to die because of it. Thank you. That was... Um... Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Jane. Jane for Prime Minister, I think, on that basis. Um, Paul finishes off on COVID. I mean, you're you're at the sharp end of this, aren't you, really? Um I have been. Um, it doesn't seem as bad in schools at the moment. Um, we but we do have little waves of infections every now and then. Um, you know, we were 
I, I don't know. I, I still don't know how things could have been handled worse. You look at lockdown parties and things like that. Like there's been news coming out on that today um, about the police are now going to issue fines. Now, remember, Boris Johnson said all guidance was followed. Clearly, guidance wasn't because they're going to issue fines. So we really should like, you know, no one's ever it's the the questionnaire that he did was the same as a an interview under caution. Um, that's never happened to a sitting prime minister before. You know, he, he should be resigning, but we've we've gone way beyond that. This has never really been about anything other than um, looking after themselves, making sure they get elected again next time, and um, and enriching their friends. There has been some really, really concerning things um, coming out that really that aren't getting any attention whatsoever. And I think it's uh, people are gonna like pe- people aren't gonna be comfortable with this. But like, the, there's a loads of really worrying things about the vaccine. And when people have been saying things about the vaccine, people have been called anti-vaxxers. But the corners that were cut with regards to maybe it was justified, maybe not. But they have made an absolute fortune out of this. Pfizer has made a fortune out of this. Like Moderna's made a fortune out of this, um, you know every single every single medical company has made a fortune out of this. The only like the only vaccine that was done at um at a cheap price, um has kind of gone by the wayside and and it doesn't really appear to be in vogue anymore. And there are huge, huge, huge side effects that have been ignored in this pandemic and no one is talking about it and that worries me. Now, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to get vaccinated and I'm not saying that the vaccines are terrible and I'm not saying the vaccines are wrong. I am vaccinated. That's fine. But the idea of a society where we cannot question that without this binary thing of you're an anti-vaxxer and you're pro-vaccine, and, and the, the, these the, these are two things, and you cannot you cannot be somewhere in the middle going, hang on, shall we not be asking about whether this is safe? Shall we not be asking about whether these things that we're doing were the correct thing to do? Should we not learn from our successes? Should we not learn from our failures? Should we not kind of change our approach for the future? That's a very, very, very worrying thing for me. So I think the whole thing we've done, and now, now the fact that like all those deaths that you mentioned, and we're just ignoring it, like it doesn't matter anymore because it's not in the news. It's not the most popular news story. Ukraine's the most popular news story now. So therefore, this doesn't matter anymore. We really need to think about what we're doing as a society and whether we are being absolutely blind and dumb to everything that is going on. We need to have sensible debate. We need to have sensible opinions without panning each other's faces in. And we need to listen to different points of view as well. Like, for example, you know, like the, the, last week there was a cyclist, Sonny Cabrelli, um, massive cardiac failure right at the end of the race after coming second. That's happening in huge proportions in athletes at the moment. There's loads of athletes dropping down with... Um, with cardiac arrhythmia and you know that should worry people either there's some drugs flying around in the world of sports some supplements that are doing this a lot of people are saying this to do with the covid vaccine or a lot of people are saying this to do with coronavirus and no one will talk about it and that worries me the fact that no one will talk about it not like to say oh yeah 
Like, not to say it is those things, but it's just it worries me when people won't even acknowledge and say, yeah, I understand why you think it might be those things, but actually we've looked into that and it's fine. No, you're not even allowed to say that. You're not allowed to talk about it. So that's where I think we are. It's a really bizarre situation in which people are pitted each other in this binary sense. Um, and, you know, the, you're not really allowed to say anything in the middle. It's bizarre. Um, uh, Jane, you, you, you want to mention patent waivers. Are these people who sort of say, yeah, yeah, look at me, I got a patent. You can't, you can't have this. What's the patent? Talk to me about patent waivers. So, um, so my understanding is that our, um, our prime minister, our country is one of the only countries that stood in the way of the patents on the vaccines being waived so that less wealthy countries can produce the vaccine um, for, a, for a less amount of money and, and so that they couldn't get their populations vaccinated, which has allowed more variants of the virus to um, come into being and that will continue to happen. And I'm really ashamed of the role that our country's played in that um, because of the representation that we've got. Yeah. Um, I, I, I fear, I don't know if I, if I may be allowed to make a comment, um, I fear that the, the government is just hoping that we can just get on and live with it and it'll go on in the background uh, carrying off people and we just won't notice and, and we'll just, just learn, learn to live with it. And I find that very deeply concerning. And the last question of all, Everybody, by the way, the score is 15 all. It's all to play for on the last round, people. Okay, so I shall expect a really, um, remember the two minute rule as well. Um, Paul has fallen foul of that uh, sort of uh, in the last two questions. Uh, sort of, but Jane has been holding up his side because with some brilliant, brilliant points. So it's all very exciting at the moment. Um, the Royals and the Caribbean tour. Have they misjudged it? I, should they not have gone? Stuart, kick us off with this one. Uh, if you've been watching the news, you'll have seen that uh, the, the royal family, the, the, the preeminent Kate and, and William, have been touring around the Caribbean, and there's photographs of them uh, meeting, meeting local uh, residents through a wire fence. And on one side of this wire fence, people seem to be, you know, excited, but uh, living in poverty on the other side, you know, there's the full white uh, military-esque uh, regalia. And there's lots of evidence that people aren't pleased with them. And lots of the, the islands themselves see themselves as, you know, modern nations, independent nations. And they feel like they're just being reduced back to, to little colonies who get uh, visited upon by uh, the royals every now and then. Uh, the, um, so lots of talk about um, uh, be becoming a republic. Um, Laura, are you a big supporter of royal visits? To... <laughs> I'll stop you there, John. <laughs> no, I'm not a big supporter of the royals. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I was reading about this today because I don't I don't follow the royal family at all. Um, but yeah, so they went to Belize and there were protests in Belize over um, it was a land dispute. Um, there's a charity that 
Prince William is um, a patron of, um, and there's like a big land dispute. So there was a big protest that happened there. Then they moved on to Jamaica and the Jamaican prime minister had said to them, um, they'd be moving on from the Commonwealth and um, they'd be becoming a Republic. Um, so that can't have gone down very well. And then they went to the Bahamas and um, at the Bahamas, um, the government committee there basically told them that they needed to make a full, frank and honest apology for their involvement in the slave trade um, and their historical crimes against humanity. Um, all of which I think are perfectly reasonable requests. And I can see why um, these people have, have used this opportunity of finally seeing someone from the royal family to actually bring these important issues up. Um, but I can't imagine that it has gone down very well. I think that it, a major problem we've got is that the UK media treat Will and Kate as you know, the nation's sweethearts and, and will only show the best parts of their journey like oh my god look at this dress she wore it was so amazing and didn't she look beautiful and he looked so uh, official and wonderful and, and all of that nonsense um but if you go and see the Jamaican media they're actually saying how it is and exactly what's happened and that you know they're they're, they're complicit in these um racist histories and they need to apologize and and all of this and um that they, everybody just needs to become a republic away from any involvement with the royal family. It's just, yeah, I feel like they've gone out there for this visit and, and the royals haven't really done a big long visit like this in a long time. But I feel like on the back of the crown, when people have really been watching the crown and going, oh yeah, that's amazing. They've gone, we should totally do one of these visits. It's gonna go down fantastically well. And it's really not, and it's really bit them in the backside. And um, I love that. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Jane, um, do you think that they should have sent Harry instead? Do you think Harry would have done a better job than William? It did occur to me that Harry and Meghan might have been a little bit more, I don't know, don't know what the right word Appropriate is. Appropriate is the word you're looking for. Yeah, it? I just think they may have maybe handled the situation a little bit better which is not to say that I think William and Catherine handled it particularly badly um because I think they've just done what they thought their duty was they've done what the royal family's always done but things needed to change a long time ago and I'm quite glad that this has you know pushed that agenda things do need to change and I'm personally very glad they made that apology um do you think it's time the royal family stopped doing these very uh, imperial royal visits where they go and swan it over other populations from whom we have stolen vast amounts of money? I think, I do think it should change. I mentioned before, I was speaking to an older family member um, at the weekend and um, the royal family came for, they brought the royal family up and said how angry they were with them. And I thought we might be, of a similar opinion and then they expressed their fury at the fact that they'd had the audacity to apologise um, because that person felt they hadn't done anything wrong and they don't want someone to apologise on their behalf and they've done nothing wrong and I think we need to think about what's happening in the UK, Ukraine right now and this is horrible 
you know people destroying your family people bombing your house but if you think about it's not a bomb but what the people have done they've come into your house and they've grabbed you and your wife or husband and your children and they've shackled you on a ship and then they've separated you and one of you wasn't looking so good so they chopped you overboard and you know at sea and you died and then they took you over to England or wherever and split you up and got you to work as a slave forever we need to think about that's that's what we've done in these countries apart from robbing the national resources of those countries that's why people are so angry and I just I know everyone here understands that but I just get the feeling that I don't know if there's some sort of sanitized version of history I don't understand why anyone would be angry about apologizing if they really understood what we had done or maybe it's not me it's not us but things were done in the name of our royal family so I do think it's appropriate that they apologize for it the representative of that royal family now is part of the problem Jane the the, the worry that if we start apologizing then we lay ourselves open for um, reparations Probably, um, it probably is, um, but that maybe that's something we need to talk about with those countries, um, what we can do, what's appropriate that, to make amends for what we've done to those countries. I mean, the, the, I find this very difficult um, because um, there's just no doubt that what wealth that we have and the, the, the developed nation, nature of our nation is almost wholly constructed out of what um, we um, what we stole from um, the empire, um, and um, and our wealth now um, depends to such a great degree on on, on what they did, um, and uh, but the cost of um, trying to do anything realistic to put that right. I think, huge. sorry to butt in, John, but when you say wealth, and I think this is part of the reason why people get so annoyed, we've just been discussing the fact that none of us have any of that wealth. That wealth is very much situated with a few people. So when you're saying to a working class person who's quite hard up, you know, we've got privilege and we've benefited from this and we've taken their wealth, I think that's why defences get up because people feel that they've been hard done by themselves and that they've, you know, not benefited from anything. It's a tricky, I think it's a really tricky one. Thank you, Jane. Paul, um, finishes off, last comment of the day. I have to tell you that you're a point behind, so you, you, need, you know, you're going to have to work very hard. No repetition, um, deviation, uh, uh, sort of. And, uh, and yeah, I need to be speaking when the whistle goes to win this one here, Paul. Um, Finishes off. Um, well, let's go back to the royal, the royal family. Um, tell us what did you think of what do you think of the tour and uh, share share your feelings. I think it's elitism, isn't it? They've they've decided to go and do this thing, and they've probably done it in really um, in in good faith, probably thinking that they're doing this great thing and we're lovely people and people will be out waving flags and they'll think it's great and it's our duty to do this. I really believe that they have good intentions and they what they think they are doing is very, very useful. The problem is they're completely out of touch. The royal family's completely out of touch. Uh, if we live, I always say, if we live in a society where we believe everyone is born equal, but there is anybody at all 
who has a birthright to privilege, then we're not. So if anyone who thinks that people should be born equal, whether that's their children or their grandchildren or their friends or their family, and they deserve equality, we can't have a royal family. It's completely incompatible. So if you want an unequal society, you can have a royal family. If you want an equal society, you cannot have a royal family. It's that simple. Thank you, Paul. And um, sort of, I have to um, say, uh, you, you, you struck a chord. Um, Barbara and I were always um, of that absolute opinion. And I'm sorry, Laura and Stuart, um, sort of, no, he, he just managed to, to, and so the scores, I'm sure everybody will be very excited to know the scores at the end of this very uh, exciting edition. The scores are proscribed bodies, 18, prescribed antibodies, 18-2! So he drew... And so, well, I couldn't do with you falling out all night about it. Um, <laughs> to all you people, you listener, I'm, I'm just so excited by the comments that you make. You know so much. You, you sort of, I, I, I don't know why the hell I'm sat in this chair. The listeners know more than I do. <laughs> the, the contributors who are talked to and asked, they know more than I do. But sort of, maybe I just add a kind of an enthusiastic pizzazz to, to, to what you all have to say. Thank you so much for everything you said. Uh, uh, just, just so brilliant. We need a revolution, says Polar Knights, and sort of, um, uh, we certainly need change, don't we? Um, God bless you. Um, and I, I think I'm just going to, uh, unless one of you wants to, to have a final word or say something or, 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 or comment, um, I, I'm going to draw it to an end. So to be careful, Laura, because I can deduct points, you know. If, 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 so to, Not important. <laughs> <laughs> right. What, 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 uh, just one of the comments that came in earlier on, I wanted to draw attention to. Um, disabled people against the cuts are calling for the big power off this Friday. So if you're watching this tonight or you listen to this on podcast after tonight, if it's before Friday, they're doing a big power off on Friday um, in rebellion to the to the soaring energy prices um and also john it's been amazing being back on the show with you i'm so pleased you're back um great minds think alike i actually made a note on my little notes page jane for prime minister so me yeah. and you do the same <laughs> the standards rate the bar's been set really low hasn't it so i reckon I've so, somebody right. called sunwing somebody called sunwing oh, out there was very alarmed at that prospect <laughs> very alarmed indeed i wonder who that might be um so sunwing we're all on your side too um okay then um uh paul anything you, you know you're all good with me yeah so subscribe to our youtube channel while you're there um and uh and paula knight says that uh i need to be freed from the burden of the point system it's nice it's nice to have messages from norway we are an international podcast which is great um yeah uh, so subscribe while you're here on youtube to our channel tell people to do that as well you can become a member of socialist think tank by going to socialistthinktank.com 
you can donate to us if you want. It doesn't give you any special privileges apart from that warm fuzzy feeling inside that you uh, get to like help us to continue to create content. But if you can't afford to, that's absolutely fine. We are socialists and we really, really appreciate people getting involved. There's Penny for Neil um, yeah. appearing on the screen. So uh, Penny's doing that as well. Um, and then follow us on all our social medias. Saturday night, we have a very special show coming up. We've got John Trickett, former frontbencher, coming along to analyse the spring statement and offer some alternatives, much as we have done tonight. But John is very, very big on his details. Um, he's a really, he's a really nice man as well. So um, that'll be that'll be nice on Saturday night at nine o'clock live. Hopefully we'll be back on Facebook again. I do know what the problem was. It was because do you know how Facebook keeps logging people out of things. Well, I had been logged out and that's the reason why. So that's why we weren't on Facebook. So sorry about that tonight. I hope everyone caught up um, who wanted to. And I hope everyone has a lovely rest of the week. And uh, any suggestions for anything you want us to do, please do get in touch and uh, we'll see you all soon. I don't want to say bye, though. I think you should say bye, John. Bye. Um, you were brilliant tonight. You were just brilliant tonight. Uh, so to, can I explain that sort of to, to, to people listening from another country? What I do is um, I, I so frequently reference Radio 4 shows in 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 in, in this sort of and and sort of if you've not seen um, uh, the news quiz. Uh, if you're not listening to the news quiz on Radio 4, you sort of um, you need to, and then you'll understand what's going on, what went on tonight. Um, the um, Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Super sub, um, super sub Prime Minister uh, Laura. It's just a joy to see you. We God bless you, Stuart Wang. You and um, sort of uh, Paul is the boss. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. We'll keep the red flag flying here.